Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, today we're celebrating uh, Pentecost, which uh, marks the coming of the Holy Spirit to all people. You know, you see throughout the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit show up on kings, uh, prophets. Um, there's this guy named Balaam who even kind of gets a piece of the Holy Spirit. But uh, you don't see the Holy Spirit available to every person until you get to Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And uh, remember, you know, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. This is what he said. He said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he says this in Luke chapter 24, verse 29. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, uh, here's what Peter, the leader of the church, says. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice. He addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, you know, because the Holy Spirit comes and they start speaking in other languages and there's some kind of wild stuff going on. As you suppose, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. We're saving that for later. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. (laughs) What an amazing, amazing moment. Just unleashing the power of the church. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning and kind of referencing this, this moment. So, would you stand for today's reading of Scripture? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everybody say common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. 
All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. You know, from the very beginning of this series, uh, we have made this claim. We were not meant to live in theory. Humans were not designed to just simply live in theory. We're never meant to have a theory that marriage is a good thing. We were designed uh, to experience that marriage is a good thing. Or, you know, we were never meant to live in theory that fathers loved their sons. We were meant to live uh, in the experience of what it's like to be a dad who loves his son or what it's like to be a son who's loved by their dad. We were not created to live in theory that God loves or theory that God is powerful. We were created to experience God's power and his love in our lives practically. So all of the stuff that you know about Jesus here in the four different Gospels, all the things you read about Jesus in the four different Gospels, you were designed to experience in your life by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, here's the thing, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. It's not a random like yeah, we're gospel people, and we love God the Father. We love Jesus. And then those weird charismatics over there, they got this thing called the Holy Spirit. It's kind of optional. No, the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. If you like Jesus, you're going to like his Holy Spirit. You may not like all of the people who have, you know, messed up loves in their hearts and, you know, dysfunctional lives who also need the Holy Spirit. They might annoy you, and, and that happens. But you're definitely going to love the Holy Spirit himself when you really get to know him. See, Jesus didn't just come to save your emotions. He didn't just come to save your minds. He came to save your soul. And so I love this passage because this is so clear about what God's intentions are, what his will is. God wants everyone to be saved and to fully understand the truth. Now, to most of us, we'd read that. We'd be like, well, that's good. I think I knew that about God, maybe even before stepping into a Christian church. But here's the thing. That word saved in Greek is sozo. Can you guys say that with me? Sozo. Now, this word has a range of meaning. It doesn't just mean intellectually saved. In fact, it, it certainly doesn't mean just that because he goes on to say to fully understand the truth. So he's talking about an intellectual thing a little bit later. He's saying God wants everybody to be sozoed, and the range of meaning is, is saved uh, spiritually, uh, healed physically, and delivered from the demonic. That's the range of meaning of this word sozo. So what is God's will for you? He wants you spiritually rescued, physically healed, and demonically delivered. In fact, the very earliest versions of catechism that we see in the, in the early church, it all include demonic deliverance for every person. So imagine like a new person, uh, to, new to St. Hill class, and we're like, all right, we're going to do demonic deliverance on every single one of you before you come into the church. That's what the early church did, and maybe we should do that as well. Now, let me just put an argument out there uh, uh, for those who are skeptical of Holy Spirit stuff. You, I even read this passage and your skin began to crawl. I read this passage. You know, worship was a little much for you. And I read this passage and you're going, what kind of church is this? Let, let, me, just, let me just put an argument out there for you. 
if Satan gets to have physical effects on people through addiction, anxiety, sickness, and death, then the recreating Spirit of God certainly should be able to do the opposite. And salvation means something physical. It doesn't just mean something emotional. It doesn't just mean something for your mind. It means something for your body. The Spirit of God does stuff. We're embodied souls, and God is not after just saving parts of us. He wants to save all of you. All of you. Now, Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians, really it's 12, 13, and 14, he gives a very detailed teaching on the supernatural, supernatural actions of God. Um, and, and so this is where we're going to spend the rest of our morning. I want to give you a little bit of an overview of the way that these passages work together. So uh, chapter 12 specifically is about gifts are, being, are from the one spirit. The gifts are designed to unify people. Chapter 13 is the love chapter. Many of us probably know that. Whether you've ever been in church before, you probably have heard it at a wedding. Love is what matters when using the gifts, and it motivates the gifts. You, never, you, you probably didn't know that chapter is a spiritual gifts chapter. It is sandwiched between these two seminal chapters on spiritual gifting. And then chapter 14 is about prophecy versus tongues, which one's better, and order in how we use the gifts in a setting like this one. So, we're going to dive into this. Are you guys awake? Are you ready? Okay. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Look back down at your Bibles. He says this now about spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are, skip down to verse 6, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, what you need to know is that we're jumping into a letter. This was a letter written by Paul to this church in a place called Corinth in the first century, and many of these Christians at Corinth were coming out of the pagan world. He says it right there, you know, you guys, when you were in your pagan lives, you were led astray to these various gods, these, to these wayward Elohim, if you will, where you had experienced real spiritual power. These, these, these dumb idols that you were after, you actually saw them do things in people's lives. You saw spiritual power. And so what Paul begins with in this chapter is you need help with discernment. You need help figuring out what's from the Holy Spirit, this, you know, very, this strong spiritual power, and what is actually from those Elohim, from those demons. Here's the most basic discernment that he gives. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, the Spirit will lead to Jesus, period. He's not going to lead you to think that you're a God. He's not going to lead you to think that you're powerful, but that Jesus is powerful and that Jesus is Lord. Now, Paul is also saying that the Spirit may have different gifts. They, you may see somebody who has one gift over here. You may see somebody with another gift over here. You may see somebody who's speaking in another language here and somebody who has the ability to kind of read your soul without knowing you. But it's the same Spirit. These many different gifts all come from the same Spirit. So everybody say, one Spirit, many gifts. One Spirit, many gifts. Now, he then lists these gifts or these manifestations of the Spirit of God in verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, thank God, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Now, this list is actually repeated in other places in the New Testament. It's also added to, and so it's not exhaustive. Many, most scholars that you'll read, you know, New Testament scholars will say there really isn't an exhaustive list of all of the gifts of the Spirit. There's no place that you find, and you're like, there's just these gifts and no more, okay? Uh, All the lists are slightly different in different ways or worded differently, Um, but what I want to do is I want to pause here because um, I want to show you there's really three types of manifestations or three buckets that the gifts of the Spirit fit into. Now, the first type is service. The first type of gift is a service type of gift. And this shows up specifically in the other list of spiritual gifts, which is in Romans chapter 12. So check it out. We have different gifts. This is Paul speaking again, but to the church in Rome. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, some people you didn't know, you have the spiritual gift of giving. I love to be your friend. Then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It is important to remember the aim of spiritual manifestations are unity and building the church. See, when power is the point, and I've seen this happen even in our own church, when power is the point, the power of the Spirit is the point, then service, the gift of service, is devalued as a spiritual gifting. This should not be the case. I want some of you to know, I don't know who this is in the room, but there's certainly some of you in the room, that your primary supernatural gifting that you will experience in this life will be thinking about how to serve people, how to care for them when they're sick or in need, and how to extend mercy. And make no mistake, that is the Holy Spirit moving and empowering you. So don't despise that gift. Don't despise that gift. The second type of gift is miracles. This is kind of the second bucket, the second category of manifestations, miracles. So look back down at your Bibles. Verse 9 is where this begins. Uh, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. And then verse 10, to another, miraculous powers. Healings, signs, wonders. This is the kind of the stuff that you think of when you think of um, spiritual gifts. And they don't, these are the gifts that really don't fit into our naturalism paradigm that we likely have. Now, I do want to pause here and just say that whether you believe these things happen and are real is almost entirely dependent on what worldview you personally inherited. So you grew up with a worldview of what is possible in this world or what isn't possible in this world, and you have imported that. You've imported it. to re- You read the Bible through it. Rather than reading uh, your worldview or the way that you see the world through what the Scriptures say is possible, you likely read your worldview or the Bible through your worldview. Now, the 20th, in the 20th century, there was this kind of entire camp of theologians uh, led by Rudolf Bultmann that would explain passages like these away. And essentially what he would say is he would say, Paul and his hearers were primitive people in their imaginations. 
They had wild imaginations. That was what was going on here. And many people within the conservative, you know, evangelical church today would disagree with that. How dare you say Paul was primitive? How dare you say that? But we in the church have our own way of explaining passages like these away. We simply say this sort of stuff died out with the apostles. More on that later. Let me just say this. It would have never occurred to Paul that the one who chose to be present in the incarnation would not be present in obvious and powerful ways in the promised Holy Spirit. Imagine saying, the Spirit rose Jesus from the dead, but when you get the Spirit, the same Spirit, he's, all he's going to do in your life is just give you a warm feeling when you read the Psalms. Those who claim that God created all and then redeemed all as the man Jesus, but they balk at the idea that God would heal today or that he would recreate through his creating spirit, minds, hearts, bodies. I'm sorry to say you have an unsustainable theology that you are attempting to hold in your mind. Okay, last category of spiritual giftings. And this is the largest one. Uh, it's inspired utterance. So look back down here, Bibles, verse 8 to 1. There is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Skip down to verse 10. Uh, he says, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, this is the largest category uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, messages of wisdom, messages of knowledge. Um, and I think that this category needs the most guidance within the church today. It needs the most definition and guidance. So the first thing Paul mentions are messages of wisdom. Now, for St. Hill specifically, this is like the biggest rebuke I think that we're going to get this morning from these passages. Maybe, there might be one more, but, but this is a pretty big one. Oftentimes, the way that we talk about messages of wisdom is we talk about people who, are, who have um, just special insight into a situation. Man, they were wise about that situation. Oh, what a, what a wise word that they had. That's, a, mess, that's a, a word of wisdom that they just had. That is not how Paul is talking about messages of wisdom. It was actually new to me reading this. The word wisdom for Paul is really, really important, and it's very, very specific. When Paul talks about a message of wisdom, he specifically is talking about the cross. He says, we preach Christ crucified, which is wisdom to those who are being saved by it, a message of wisdom being saved by it, but it's folly to those who don't need it, don't think they need it. So, look, here's what I want to say. I don't think most people in our church speak about words of wisdom this way. So if we're going to use the language, that was a word of wisdom, and we're not talking about preaching the cross or preaching Christ and him crucified, we're talking about something else, we just need to be clear that we're doing our own interpretation, and we're expanding the definition of what words of wisdom actually mean. Okay, so let's just be clear about that. Now, second thing he says is that there's messages of knowledge, messages of knowledge. 
there are so many examples. In fact, every single Sunday, we come up here at the end of the gathering and we give words of knowledge from pre-gathering prayer. We take time in pre-gathering prayer to ask God, are you saying anything uh, to anybody specific, anybody, any, any pieces of knowledge that we need to know about people who are coming that you are on a mission to meet with? And then we share those words from the stage. So I have so many stories that I could share about that, but I would actually like to um, let Charles Spurgeon, you know that great charismatic, I would let that this wild man, uh, that was a joke for those of you who don't know him. He was not, ter- well, he was charismatic, just wouldn't be labeled that way. And all of the reform people are just like, how dare you take his name in vain? Um, I just want to let him speak on this because this is just, this is so good. So this is Spurgeon's experience. This is from his, uh, his autobiography. So he said, while preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd. How would you like that if I was doing that? Jake does that. Maybe I should try that sometimes. I, I, was, I, was, I pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, there's a man sitting here who's a shoemaker. This, guy, this poor guy. This is, such a, this is sad for this guy. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning. He took nine pence, and there was four pence profit out of it. He sold his soul to Satan for four pence. That's a word of knowledge right there. Woo! Now, the shop owner, reflecting on this uh, very, probably traumatic, I mean, this would be just called trauma. This would be church trauma today, but, but it actually led to him getting saved, so he was cool with it. He said, it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop next Sunday. At first, I was afraid to go and hear him again, lest he should tell people more about me. But afterwards, I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul that day. Spurgeon says this, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of that person or any idea what I, what, uh, that what I said was right. <laughs> I love that, because oftentimes it's like, I have no idea if this is right. I'm going to just say this. Except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it, and so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul or else he could not have described me so exactly. <laughs> so powerful. Guys, those are not stories from Redding. Those are, those are like stories from Spurgeon. So now, both of these messages of wisdom, uh, messages of knowledge are connected to prophecy. We don't have time to talk about prophecy today, so I'm actually, we're extending the Pentecost series, guys. Next Sunday, I'm going to do a whole, a whole sermon on prophecy. I couldn't squeeze it all into this week, um, partly because I want to spend a, uh, kind of the remainder amount of our time on tongues, specifically, because I think this has been a question mark in my mind within our church. Sometimes you'll hear people in worship speaking in tongues, or you'll even hear sometimes on the prayer line uh, people speaking in tongues, and I wanted to give a little bit of definition to this, and what is actually going on, and what do we... What we believe about this as a church. Now, there are two kinds of tongues. So if you're taking notes, maybe write this down. There's two kinds of tongues. Uh, The first kind of tongues is the tongues that you see at Pentecost, which are actual other languages. It's people having, getting the ability by the Spirit to speak another language that they did not grow up uh, speaking and did not know how to speak previous. I've actually heard stories out of a buddy of mine who was, uh, he was a, a wild man. He one time said God t- gave him the ability to speak Mongolian to reach this Mongolian woman who was uh, in Portland, had moved to Portland. So I've heard stories of this. Um, 
But this is that, when we talk about tongues, that's one type of tongues that we're talking about. It's pretty rare. I, I, I have not seen that all that often. You see it in Acts, and then you don't see it all that often in the rest of uh, the New Testament. More commonly, what we see, and what I, I think probably when people talk about tongues they're referring to, is that of a spiritual language or a prayer language. Um, that exists specifically for the believer's benefit and for uniting one spirit with God. So, so here's a little bit of guidance on tongues. Flip over to the right in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, and here's what Paul says. He says that this in 14 verse 2. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So tongues specifically are for your prayer life. They're for speaking to God. You're not speaking to men. Nobody understands what the heck you're saying. You're speaking to God. Now, this has been my personal experience with tongues. For many, many years, um, I kept on praying, God, give me tongues. Is it here? Nothing. I, 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 there's nothing here. I just have English and a, and a, and a very bad version of Spanish. Like, I have no tongues. I have no tongues. And so I'd pray. I, I was really dedicated. I remember I took even like a whole year where I'd pray every week, God, give me tongues. Give me tongues. I'm not going to fake this. I'm not going to be a fake thing. Now, um, I've experienced myself in times of intense prayer or worship kind of opening my mouth and uttering things that are unintelligible to anybody around me. I've felt my spirit connect to God. I've felt an increase of God's presence. This is just my story. Um, but this is not something that is all that off common or uh, for me personally. Just full disclosure. Some of you in the room, you're like, tongues is your thing. And you're like, let me up there. Give me that mic. I'll tell these people about tongues. Well, okay, that's, that's fine. Paul says this in Romans um, chapter, chapter uh, I believe it's chapter 8. He says, we sometimes don't know what to pray, so the Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groanings. I think that's spiritual language. I think that's tongues. And it's important to note that at no point in the New Testament does Paul say that tongues are directed to people or for people. So, look. I know there's a lot of you, you're like praying for somebody, and you're like, I'm going to go into tongues now for them. This is really going to get them. Hold your horses. If tongues connects you with, with God and you feel like it's, it, there's a connection there, ask permission. Can I speak in tongues? It's not for you. It's for me, okay? But don't do it so that you can show how spiritual you are. Don't do it so that you can be like, I'm, we're going to get really intense with prayer now. I'm going to tongues. The scripture is clear. It's not for that. It's not for that. Tongues is referred to on a couple of occasions in the book of Acts as something that people actually sing with. So oftentimes, you know, I just want to say, like, it's okay in our church if you're sitting next to somebody and you hear them singing in tongues. You, sh you don't need to be going, where's the interpretation for that? Where's the interpretation? Look, they're here to meet with God just like you're here to meet with God. So let them meet with God in the way that the scriptures say we can meet with God. Okay. Tongues, oftentimes, uh, it, it builds you up. So look down at verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. You, know, you could read that and be like, how selfish. No, are you kidding me? I need to be edified. I need to be built up. So if I have a tool in my tool belt and I get to just kind of speak gibberish that God's spirit understands and my spirit somehow connects with, I'm going to do it because tongues edifies. 
In fact, Paul actually says in, in Ephesians chapter 6 that every believer should pray in the Spirit, which certainly means tongues in Paul's language, should pray in the Spirit as a way of protecting your soul against the enemy. So tongues is very, very important for you in your personal walk with Jesus. Tongues can be used in a public gathering, but sh there should always be an interpretation if it's being given from the stage, or even we've had moments where people have shouted out in tongues. I'm not a huge fan of that unless there is a specific interpretation given. Okay, because look what it says in verse 27. It says this, If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak at one time. We could just start with one. And someone must interpret. Someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Okay, we all on the same page about that? Awesome. Because we have to remember that the spiritual gifts are not for you alone. They are to build up the body of Christ. They're for the common good. So, 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 so you likely have questions. <laughs> like, what does this mean for us? What does all of this, you know, direction and guidance mean for us? So, so here's kind of my summation or my takeaway from these chapters. If the Bible is true and the Bible is livable, here's, here's, what we, here's how we should be. We should encourage and foster a place for the gifts. We should honor the gifts of the Spirit, all of them. Secondly, we should have intelligibility publicly. Our gathering for worship is not a time to get personally wild or to see how far you can go in the Spirit. That's for your prayer closet at home. This is a place where we come to be used by the Spirit for unity and to build up others. That's pretty important, okay? I have had people tell me, Saint, I go to another church, but St. Sil is the church where I come to play in the Spirit. Look, I recognize people need to be filled up. I recognize that there are people who you are so hungry in your life. You are in a place in your life where you need, you need an encounter with the Spirit of God. That's amazing. I, I hope that this is a place where you get that. But this is a church. This is a body that we're trying to build. This is not a place for you to just see how far you can risk in the Spirit and how wild you can get. This is a place where you submit yourself and you submit the gifts that God has given you to build up the people around you. Number three, tongues should be interpreted if used corporately in order to build others up. And number four, prophecy should be honored and tested. More on that next week. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? Is this a boring sermon? I, you guys, all your faces tell me that this is a boring sermon. But I'm, I'm trusting that you'll go back and listen to it. It's like I told Emily yesterday, I was like, I have so many bullet points and lists in this sermon. This is like not a narrative. This really is a teaching. And I feel like God is teaching us how to view the gifts that he has. So uh, now it's going to get a little bit more interesting. I have some specific words for St. Sill from all of this. Here's the first one. Don't stumble over the supernatural. Don't stumble over the supernatural. Charismatics and non-charismatics are both at risk of being hung up on the power of Jesus, either by worshiping power. All, you're like, I need, a touch, I need a touch from the Holy Spirit. If I don't have a touch from the Holy Spirit, what relationship do I even have with you? And others, oh, I just can't believe that person next to me sang in tongues the whole time. That was so weird. Or they gave words of knowledge from the stage. Who do they think they are? Look, no matter where you find yourself on this particular issue, there has likely been an event in your life that happened. Something happened that has brought about an emotion, and then there's been an entire belief system attached to that emotion. 
about spiritual gifts. And I'm simply asking that you say, God, I want all of you. I want you to shape my vision of you. Not some sweaty night at a strange church service or even how my favorite preacher speaks about you. I want to know the real you. I want you. Look, guys, Jesus didn't come to earth so that people could fall on the ground and shake or that somebody could take their dinner jacket and wave it and rows of people would fall over. You know, he, he, he didn't come so that you could have a nice feeling when we were singing those worship songs. That's not why he came. He came to bring dead people back to life. That's why he came. The thing is, Sometimes that process, that resurrection process, can look like shaking and falling. And I was literally weeping back there earlier. I hope nobody saw me. I was weeping because the power of God was being pressed into my soul, and it's been months since I've felt his presence like that, and I needed it so badly. So I don't want to miss the real thing because of my skepticism. You know, things are counterfeited because... There's real things that really exist. You don't counterfeit something that's fake. You counterfeit something that's real. So are there people who have counterfeited the gifts of the Spirit and have made money off the gifts of the Spirit and have created hype over the gifts of the Spirit and manipulated people over the gifts of the Spirit? Yeah. Yep. Just like the greatest gifts in all of life are the most powerful things, they are also the things that are at the most risk of being manipulated and used in wrong ways. That's why I'm doing this teaching. That's why we're talking about this stuff. I love what Paul says in, uh, in chapter 14, verse uh, 14. This, this, I'd never seen this before. This is really good. Paul says this, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but... I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. There are people who only want to live in their understanding, and Paul refused to do that. I will connect my spirit to his. And there are people who only want to live in the spirit, and they want nothing to do with teaching or truth And Paul said, I refuse to live in that way as well. Paul says, I will do both. I'll worship in the Spirit, and I will worship in my own ability to understand. I want that for us. I think that's Spirit and truth. Abandoned to the Spirit, grounded in truth. That's what St. Saul's designed to be. Secondly, this is a good one. The gifts are not like a personality test. (laughs) They're spiritual gift tests. Maybe some of you have taken them. You don't need to take those. (laughs) There is a risk, look, I know, there's a risk when we place an emphasis on the miraculous. There is a risk that those who lack identity in Christ or who do not understand the love of God and what the gospel means could fake themselves into a healing or into prophecy in order to belong or feel celebrated in a church like this. You're like, you come for prayer for healing and you didn't get healed, but you're like, I think I've feel a little bit better. No, don't lie. You belong. You belong here. And there's people who, like, I have to get a prophetic word for the pastor. If I don't get a prophetic word for the pastor, how will we know that I'm, I'm full of the Holy Spirit and spiritually gifted? Stop. Stop. Don't do that. This is a possibility, and it's why teaching on identity in Christ is so important. 
Remember what Jesus said? You know, his disciples come back and they're like, even demons listen to us. And he's, you know what he says to them? You shouldn't celebrate that. You know what you should celebrate? That your names are written in the book of life. You should celebrate that you're going to spend eternity in my presence. That's what you should celebrate. I've seen many people attempt to find their mission in life, their identity, or their freedom through the gifts rather than through the Spirit. Those are two different things, and that's a mistake. The Spirit has a mission. The Spirit has a war for you to fight. The Spirit has freedom for your life. And whenever you try to use the gifts of the Spirit to get those things, you miss out on the gift that is the Spirit. (laughs) We worship God, not the gifts. You know, Paul says this. He says, the gifts are distributed just as God determines. In other words, God has his own plan for making his bride beautiful. And what I'm trying to get at is that what makes the bride of Christ ugly is when you're trying to be the gift that somebody else is supposed to be. You don't get to pick your gift. You don't get to work to, I'm going to really get better at this other gifting over here. They're distributed as he determines. You simply get to play your role. If your role is showing mercy, then show mercy. If your role is providing leadership, then show leadership and do it diligently, even when it feels lonely. If your gift is to pray for healing, then, and I find out about it, I'm going to ask you to pray for people's healing all the time because that's how we build up the body of Christ, right? I also want to say this. This is a little bit of a sharp word for our church. We do not need people with power who don't love. And we do not need people with power who don't repent. And we do not need people with power who are not easy to confront. In this house, and this is for your benefit, I refuse to honor your gifting above your character. I refuse to honor your spiritual gift above you actually becoming more like Christ. Okay? Thirdly, discernment. You know, Paul began this whole thing by speaking about discerning whether a spirit is from Jesus or not. And it matters because there's other powerful spirits. You know, there could be a question, well, are there signs and wonders from other spiritual beings? Uh, Yeah, the Bible says this in 2 Thessalonians. Check it out. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works, okay? He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. So we better discern. You know, there's a lot of watchdogs out there. There's like whole watchdog ministries on YouTube. Checking out, I'm sure if they even got a glimpse of my teaching, I'd be on the watchdog list, I'm sure. But uh, there's people that they spend their whole ministry is like, false teacher, false prophet, false teacher, false prophet. Uh, It's actually pretty exhausting. And so for me, I have kind of felt this like, geez, just chill out. But we should be discerning. We really should be discerning. Does the sign or wonder point to the lordship of Christ? What does Paul say? He says, nobody speaking by the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is cursed. All the, the Holy Spirit, you know what he's constantly doing? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, which is what Jesus, it's one of his favorite uh, names for the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit is going to lead us into all truth, then the same Spirit who moved the prophets along to write the Bible will confirm the truth of the Bible and will not serve the lies 
And here's what, you like wonder, like, what are the signs and wonders that we see in our present day? What are the signs and wonders that we see from other spirits going on that people have tapped into in our, into our culture? They are the gods of personal advancement, of power apart from intimacy. This is a big one, the whole idea of manifesting things that you want in your life. I'm literally like watching like real estate shows on Netflix and they're talking about like, I totally just manifested this house. I'm like, you connected with a demonic spirit to, you manipulated the spiritual world for physical gain. That is witchcraft. You did witchcraft. So we should not be people that are trying to manifest good things in our lives by positive thinking or by like, yeah, I just totally manifested that. It's like, no, you're connecting with a real spirit. You either are giving yourself to the spirit of God or you're giving yourself to some other powerful spirit. Does that manifesting that stuff actually happen and work? I actually believe it does. There was a gal in our church for a number of years when we first started that she was saved out of this whole demonic manifesting stuff and she repented, gave her life to the Spirit of God and actually began to live not dependent on the physical good stuff happening in her life, but dependent on the presence of God. It was so powerful to watch that happen. You know, we say this all the time, Jesus is perfect theology and the Spirit is His Spirit, meaning... That if you hear the Spirit say something or do something that you cannot find in the life of Jesus, then you have reason to question it. Jesus is your filter. Okay, to end. I want to talk about love and I want to talk about overflow. And I really mean this is really the end because this has been really long. We don't chase the stuff, we chase God. So my priority is not to see something more wild happen in church this week than we saw last week. My priority is to stay in step with the Spirit wherever He may be going that day. Sometimes that means we have very solemn church gatherings because the Spirit is addressing personal sin that must be repented of. Sometimes we've had, guys, we have had some wonderful gatherings where people have been like, I I thought like a conga line was about to start. We've had people (laughs) dancing and just beautiful things taking place. We've had really wonderful experiences in the Spirit. I actually don't care what church looks like or what it looks like when we come together. I just care that we're in step with the Holy Spirit. That's all I care about, okay? Before Jesus ascends, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And he was giving his church this precedent. First filling, then outpouring. We come here for filling so that we can pour ourselves, be poured out. If you want to move in the Holy Spirit's power, then receive love first. Because love is what motivates all of the gifts. Love is what, uh, is what gives the gifts energy. If you want to love really well, by the way, there's maybe some of you in the room, you're like, I don't really care about the gifts. I want to be a good, I want to love people well. Well, you're actually going to need the gifts. In fact, this is what Paul says deliberately after talking about uh, love in chapter 13. Here's how he begins uh, chapter 14. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. If you're gonna if you're gonna walk in the gifts of the spirit, you better be loving. And if you're gonna love, you better walk in the gifts of the spirit. You better be open to them. This is the way of the spirit because this is the way of Jesus. And this is the way of Jesus, what we've been reading about, because this is the culture of heaven breaking into our own. So Saints Hill, wait for the spirit and walk in the spirit. Go ahead and stand. Let's uh, respond to God today. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, 
You can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.